And notice with me the word of God, Colossians 4 and 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your speech, your conversation, your verbiage, your communication, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. I want to speak this morning on the subject of salty speech. I know some people have got, you know, there's a, salty has a different connotation in our world today. They're salty. In the Bible, salt is a good thing. Salt is a good thing. If anybody would like some, let me know and I'll dump it on your tongue. Salt is a good thing. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for church. Thank you that we're here today, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, have your way, God. I need you. I can't do a thing without you. And together, we need to hear from God. We need, Lord, a message directed to us that will help us and feed us, that will teach us and train us, God, as to how to be effective in the kingdom of God and effective in our world today. And I pray for that. I pray for your help. I pray for your Holy Ghost help. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Words are a powerful tool that have been given to us by God. We have been given the power and ability for communication and conversation, and it is, it is not only a powerful tool, but it is a high responsibility of every one of us to use this tool for good. It's going to be a long service here this morning. <laughs> Amen? They are tools for good. I want to quote to you a little story about Ronald Reagan, who I believe was a very effective president. And the background here, he is standing in front of the Berlin Wall. Ronald Reagan is theatrical, positioning the Berlin Wall behind him as he stands on an elevated platform. The weather is gray and overcast with a light wind blowing. Reagan begins his speech at 2 p.m., Behind me, he says, stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers that divides the entire continent of Europe. Reagan says, from the Baltic south, those barriers cut across Germany in a gash of barbed wire, concrete, dog runs, and guard towers. Farther south, there may be no visible, no obvious wall, but there remain armed guards and checkpoints all the same, still a restriction on the right to travel, still an instrument to impose upon ordinary men and women of a totalitarian state. And I thank God today that we don't live in a totalitarian state. I think we ought to thank God that we live in a free country. I think we ought to pray for the United States of America. And thank God that we live in a bastion of freedom and opportunity and liberty and what a blessing it is to be in the United States of America. At least now it is. It's not the United Socialist States of America. Well. And Ronald Reagan is standing there in the 1950s. He quoted Khrushchev predicted, we will bury you is what... The Soviet Union said, Reagan said emphatically, but in the West today, we see a free world that has achieved a level of prosperity and well-being unprecedented in all human history. In the communist world, Reagan commented, we see failure, technological backwardness, declining standards of health, even want of the most basic kind, too little food. Even today, the Soviet Union still cannot feed itself. After these four decades, then, there stands before the entire world one great and inescapable conclusion. And that conclusion, Reagan commented, was that freedom leads to prosperity. Freedom replaces the ancient hatreds among the nations with community and peace. Freedom is the victor. Ronald Reagan is in complete control. There is no sign of weakness. His voice rises as he drives home his point. He was warned. And all the specialists warned him before the speech that by using the wall as a backdrop, his speech would automatically be provocative. But Ronald Reagan wants to be provocative. His message today is so powerful that he will be interrupted 28 times by cheers and applause. 
Quote, are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it? We welcome change and op openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. And he goes on and says, there is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. Reagan pauses, knowing that the world is hanging upon his words. And I quote, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, and the fateful words are spoken, tear down this wall. To those that believe that words don't matter, my question, do words matter? I would argue that the words, long before the wall began to crumble, that there was a fissure and there was a crack in that wall that happened when the words began to be spoken by the President of the United States of America. Because words are powerful. Because words initiate. Because words matter. They're not magic, but they are powerful. Words can coalesce and they can unite. And before the wall ever fell, it cracked with the words of the President of the United States when he said, tear down this wall. I want to remind the congregation this morning that words matter. That the things that we say and the words that we utter have the power to change things. If there are things in life that you don't like them the way that they are, if things aren't going the way that you want, we have a powerful and a wonderful God-given recourse that has been given to every child of God. And that is that we can speak, that God has put creative power in our mouth and in our tongue, that we can say things that have the ability to release the power of heaven upon earth. Because the God that we serve, we were created in his likeness. And the God that we serve, the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Because there's power in the word of God. And I'd like to say even greater than that, there is power in the spoken word of God. Who would ever guess that the message, somebody preaching to us that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that it should have been you hanging upon the cross but the good news is today that you didn't have to suffer and be crucified and die for your sins. But Jesus came as a substitutionary sacrifice to hang upon that old rugged cross. And because Jesus took your place on the cross of Calvary, that there is nothing, that there is no sin, that there is no power, that there is nothing in this world that is great enough to keep you away from heaven because Jesus died on a cross for your sins. And oh, the day that we heard the message of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The day that we heard somebody tell us the good news of the gospel of Christ, that we don't have to be sinners all of our life and die and go to hell, but we can be born again of the water and the Spirit and our sins can be washed away and we can be filled with the Holy Ghost and we can go to heaven, that we don't have to go to hell, we don't have to be a drug addict, we don't have to live in sin, we don't have to be broken any longer, we don't have to keep on being what we've always been but there's hope in Jesus that we can do what we've never done and be what we've never been because we've got a God who came from heaven to earth and hung on the old rugged cross and bled and died was buried and resurrected the third day in the grave and because of that you and I have got hope on a Sunday morning because Jesus conquered death and hell 
power and there is hope in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. And those words made all the difference in our life. And all those that believe that Acts 2.38 doesn't matter. When Peter preached that same message that I just took about three minutes to preach... And he preached to a bunch of people that were not born again. And they said, oh God, what do we do now? We're sinners. We're messed up. We crucified our Lord of glory. We messed it all up. What do we do now? And to that, Peter responded, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to repent of your sins. Come on, congregation, on this Sunday morning. We preach what Peter preached. We repent of our sins. We do an about face. We turn away from sin. We don't want sin anymore. We do a metanoia. We do a change of heart and mind. We repent of our sins. Peter said you need to repent of your sins. And if you're here this morning and you haven't been born again, I've got a message of hope for somebody in this Sunday morning that you can be born again. You can have a new life in Christ. If your life's been mixed up and messed up, uh, that on this Sunday morning, uh, you can hear the same message that Peter preached, uh, that you can turn from your sin, uh, and you can turn from death, uh, and we've got a tank right back here, and you can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And there are some that's been listening Sunday after Sunday. And there are those that have been here week after week. And the months are rolling on. And, and I, th- I thank God for every person that comes to church. I thank God for every person that has the courage to come to a Pentecostal church for the first time. After all they've heard about Pentecost, uh, after all they've heard about the tongue talkers, uh, after all they've heard about those crazy people that run around the church, uh, you had the courage to come to the house of God this morning, and I applaud you for the decision that you've made. You've made a good decision. You've made a God decision. uh, But maybe you've been coming for weeks, and I want you to know that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you know what? It's been too long since we baptized someone in Jesus' name. I feel like preaching a little revival. Come on, I'm not preaching survival. Come on, church, you ought to nudge yourself, slap yourself upside the head, and say, wake wake up, we need to have ourselves a revival. Because we haven't had somebody get baptized in a little too long. And I'm preaching just like Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. If you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, you may be wondering, do I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus? I'll tell you what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's a terrible thing. You know what? I don't want to be damned. I don't want anybody to be damned to an eternity in hell. But I can repent of my sins and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission, the taking away, the washing of my sins. In fact, here is water. What doth hinder thee from being baptized? We got a tank. We got water. What are you waiting on? Come on. I hope it is. I was going to say that, but I didn't say it because I'm not sure if it is. (laughs) Dave Hall, where you at? Bail me out. I think it's warmed up. Tank's warmed up. We're ready to go. I'm preaching the gospel. This is what changes men's lives. Jesus died. Amen, patience? Haven't we been through Bible study? Perry, if if you're on here, God bless all of our guests that are online today. Perry, if you're on... We had Bible study this week, and we were talking about this. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Come on, it'll be the best thing you've ever done. Well, you say, I was baptized. Well, so was I. I found out after the fact. Kind of ticked me off. I was baptized as a kid, and I never even knew. Brother, I, was, I didn't even know I'd been baptized. I've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You've got to be kidding me. It's not how you get baptized. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is Jesus. Yeah. 
And that's why Peter baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. Everybody in the New Testament was baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on, I know this is old hat to some of us. You're like, oh yeah, I've heard that all before. You need to hear it again. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody that's online. There's power in the name of Jesus. Devils tremble at the name of Jesus. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And the name of that one true and living God is Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We need to have a revival here this morning. We need to have people lining up to be baptized in Jesus' name. That poor preacher's got baptismal elbow. He threw his arm out, baptizing 73 people in Jesus' name because everybody needs to be born again. Oh, hallelujah. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've repented and baptized, been baptized in Jesus' name and haven't got it yet, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and some of you that haven't had it in a while, you need a refreshing and a renewing in the Holy Ghost. You need to not let your mask bother you and speak in tongues uh, as the Holy Ghost gives the utterance. Come on. We need a revival. I'm telling you, preaching is powerful. God used it. I don't get it. I, don't, I mean, it's not my choice. I didn't say this is the way God, that God ought to do it. God said this is the way I want you to do it. He uses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The fool, people say, oh, that's foolish, that's crazy. Some guy get up there and just, you know, yell and do all that. I don't know, I don't get it, I don't know why God did it, but that's how God said he's going to do it. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Somebody's got to speak the word of God. Somebody's got to get salty here. Salty. That's what we're preaching about this morning. Words can be good or words can be bad. There are good words and there are bad words. There are good conversations and there are bad conversations. You ever had a good conversation? You ever had a bad conversation? How many like the good conversations better than the bad conversations? I do. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Have you had a good argument? No. <laughs> you had a bad argument? Oh, yeah. Most of us had that. In fact, you married people, you, you learn this, right? we got to learn this. There is a way to have a good fight. And people that say they don't fight, I just don't believe them. My aunt and uncle said that when we first got in the church. They were, they were our soul winners. They brought us into the church. They said, we don't ever fight. And then we got in the church, we realized, oh, yeah, they fight. The thing is, it's just we fight different. When we're in the church, we fight different than when we're out of the church. Come on, somebody. When you're out of the church, you throw stuff against the wall. When you're out of the church, you pound holes in the wall. When you're out of church, you use four-letter words. When you're out of the church, you scream at the top of your lungs. When you're in the church, you may fight, but we fight the good fight of faith. All right. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about salty speech? Because this message that I'm talking about here this morning, I'd like to speak into American culture at this exact moment. Because we as Americans, our country must return to an attitude of civility. America must return to grade school lessons on fair treatment and verbal responsibility. Never in all of my life, and probably you would agree with me this morning, never have we seen, I, that I'm aware of in, in, in my life, never have I seen the degree of public animosity, of public rudeness, uh, 
of accusations and we're in a cancel culture right now where it, it, you know if they don't agree with you that they can just throw these words out there like racist you're a racist you're a racist i heard that the people that went to the back to blue rally at at, at the at the uh, what you call it at central school a little while back i i heard people saying you're racist let me tell you what, if you support the police, you're not racist, you're smart. <laughs> you want a world without police? Not me. You want a world where the criminals can just take over at will and do whatever they want? You want that kind of a world? And you want a world where there is no Second Amendment, where you, cannot, you can't defend yourself, and we want to defund the police and take away a Second Amendment where you can't defend yourself? Not me. It's not racist, it's common sense to thank God for the authorities that he places in place. We don't always like them, especially if you're driving over the speed limit. We don't like them when we see the flashing blue lights behind us, and we like to get mad, but it's human nature that we don't like accountability. But thank God that there are some men that are there to protect and to serve, wearing a gun on their hip, and a, are there bad cops? Sure, there's bad cops. I mean, you know, just like there's bad FedEx drivers, just like you know, there's there's bad mailmen, just like there's there's bad attendants at M and H, just like there's bad Walmart workers, just like there's bad preachers. Oh, sure, but it doesn't mean that they're all bad. As a matter of fact, the greatest majority of them are good, and we thank God for them. Amen. But people just throw around, you know, racist, racist. Come on, man. We got we to get back to, to truth. We got to get back to things that are true. Accusations and hate and violence and disrespectful communication that has just become normative in society. Sexist and misogynistic. And how about this one? This, this has been, I mean, it's so overused that it really doesn't even have meaning anymore. Hitler. President's Hitler. Give me a break. Hitler was responsible for the murder of six million Jews. Come on, that's called a holocaust. What an indictment to the memory of all the precious people whose lives were taken from them in concentration camps to equate a policy that you disagree with, uh, with a word uh, like Hitler. I'm saying this morning, America, listen up. It's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. More importantly, church, listen up. God wants us in the middle of an inflammatory world, in the middle of a world that's gone wild with their words, uh, to be a people that are salt uh, and that are light, uh, to be a people that are influential for good, uh, to be a people that know how to articulate and gestulate and know how to speak in a way that is a blessing to our world, in a way that is not destructive, but in a way that is constructive, in a way that builds up, that doesn't tear down, in a way that encourages instead of discourages, in a way that is a blessing instead of a way that is a curse. We learn our ABCs. We learn the alphabet. We learn how to read and write. What a gift that human language is, the ability to speak. It is a miracle. It is a miracle that we can communicate. We are not cavemen. We don't go boonga boonga. We're not dogs. We don't bark. We're not cats. We don't meow. We're not pigs. We don't go oink. We don't go boonga boonga, point and grunt. <coughs> we speak. God's given us the ability, and it's a miracle that God gave us the ability of human intelligence and the ability to, with the nuances of human communication to be able to talk with one another. What an incredible gift that it is that God has given us. And so we learn the alphabet. We learn to read and write. Unfortunately, we aren't always taught how to talk. Unfortunately, we're not always taught etiquette, civility, kindness, encouragement. We learn language, but sometimes not its proper role. We learn communication and conversation, but unfortunately, oftentimes not responsibility. English is a subject, and it's a class that's taught in school, 
But I would argue this morning that civility should equally be a class that is taught. We expect a person that drives a 3,000-pound car to take a course, be taught, pass a test to drive, because a car can be deadly and dangerous. I would argue this morning that the tongue is far more dangerous than an out-of-control car. The tongue is as dangerous as a loaded gun. Wars have been started with words. I was reminded again this week, in the past week or two weeks, having to deal with a very inflammatory situation in our district and uh, part of a Zoom call about a week ago, and I was once again, it happens now and then, shocked, shocked at, at verbiage and conversation and people's audacity sometimes to, to say the most obnoxious things. And followed up a week later with an email where I just go, wow. Proverbs 18 and 21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Somebody said amen. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words can build up or destroy. Words can encourage or they can depress. Words can bring confidence or fear. Words can attract or repel. Words can unite or divide. Words can wound or heal, help or hurt. One of the greatest gifts that God gave us is a mouth to speak and a tongue to speak. Perhaps that's the reason why that in our formative training, many of us had parents, probably a mother, that maybe put her hand on her hip. Maybe she wagged her finger and said something like this, watch your mouth. How many were sarcastic going to be like, I can't see it. <laughs> your mom was like my mom. Watch your mouth. Of course, these are the negative aspect of words, the destructive and damaging aspect of words. But what I really want to focus on this morning is that words can also be powerfully helpful and they can be healing. Words can be helpful and they can be healing. As a matter of fact, the responsibility of a Christian is that our words would be helpful and that they would be healing, that our words would be a blessing. I've got a, a nephew. I've got a nephew, and uh, I don't. I don't know what what motivated him to say this. He he, at the time, was about four years old or five years old, and we were at a a uh, family gathering, probably a Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of the two. And he came. At the time, he was about four years old, and he'd been playing with the other kids. And he's a unique kid anyway. And he he came up. I don't think anybody else noticed him, and all the hubbub and all the activity and everything that was happening in the home, and he walked upstairs, and he started walking around, and he said something that caught my attention. And he, and he said this. He said, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And he's just walking around. Nobody's listening to him. He's just talking to himself. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I've since adopted that phrase into my vocabulary. Because sometimes people misunderstand you. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes people get mad at you, and uh, I've just, at times, I've just find myself saying, I'm just a good guy. <laughs> I'm just a good guy. I'm just a good guy. And little old Blake said, I'm just a good guy. I'm just a good guy. I'm just a good guy. I find myself saying that sometimes. I'm just a good guy. But we have a man in the Bible whose name is Barnabas. And Barnabas, I, th I think we could say a Barnabas, he was just a good guy. He was one of the good guys in the Bible. Acts 11.24 says, for he was a good man. He was a good man. How many men want to be a good man? I don't know about you. I want to be a good man. I mean, what, whatever that looks like, I want to be that. I just I want to be one of the good guys. I've told my wife that over and over again. I don't know. What's your goal in life? I want to be one of the good guys. I just want to be one of the good guys. I, just, I want my life to count. I want it to matter. I want to be one of the good guys. The Bible says of Barnabas that he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and the result of that, this is really cool, and much people was added unto the Lord. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost inspiration right now to encourage a good man that it pays off to be a good man. 
it pays off to be full of the Holy Ghost because he was just simply a good man that was full of the Holy Ghost. And the result of a good man full of the Holy Ghost is that much people was added unto the Lord. Man, I feel a prophetic word right now. Could it be that the revival that God wants to be bring into our church is going to be so simple? It's going to be a result of just some good men that are full of the Holy Ghost. Good men full of the Holy Ghost. Good men full of the Holy Ghost. And much people are added unto the Lord. Because good men do good things. Good men do good things for a good God. And a good God will bless good men with good results oh hallelujah and much people added unto the Lord he was one of the good guys we find him in the Bible first place we find him in the book of Acts the Bible says that uh, there were some impoverished saints some poor saints that were in the church and the Bible says that this good man had a piece of land and he sold that piece of land and he gave the money for those that were impoverished in the church. First place we read about him. Second place we read about him. There's this savage beast of a man by the name of Saul. And Saul is a persecutor of Christians. He's a murderer. He's hailing men and women and throwing them into prison and beating them. And you have children that are fatherless and wives that are husbandless. And you have families that are fractured and broken as a result of this murderous man named Saul. But Jesus Christ is so powerful that he can take the people that no one else expects could ever be saved. And he can save the people that nobody believes can be saved. As an added note on a Sunday morning, don't ever write anybody off. Don't ever walk by someone and say, oh, they could never be saved. They could never be a part of the church. Because let me tell you something about God. God can see something in people that we can't see in people. God can do things in people that no program can do in people. That prison can't do for people. Jesus can do in people what nothing else can do for people. And so God reaches out to this savage beast of a man named Saul. He was a religious zealot. One thing to his credit is that he thought he was doing the right thing. And you know what? I got hope for people. They may be doing the wrong thing, but they may be sincere in doing the wrong thing. They may be wrong, but they're sincerely wrong. There's a difference between those that know they're doing wrong and doing, and sometimes people don't know that they're doing wrong. And such was the case with this man. God knocks him down on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the light. God uh, miraculously through the prayer of Ananias lays hands upon him. He receives his sight. He speaks in tongues. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He's baptized in the name of Jesus. And now he's been born again and he's in the church. Now, we probably can't imagine someone like that coming into the church. Because he was not only the least likely, he was the most dangerous. He was the guy you didn't want in your church. Because he was the guy. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament literally says this, that when he was born again, he was saved. God saved his soul. The Bible says that there was those that were in the church that believed not that he was a disciple. In other words, they questioned the validity of his experience. As a matter of fact, they really questioned within themselves. Maybe he's just trying to infiltrate the church. Maybe he's just trying to get in the church and get the word on us. And then once he can pass that word up to Jerusalem, we'll all be thrown into jail. And the church was afraid. I mean, that's a revival. When you start winning people, that people are freaked out when they get one to God. You know, like the CIA director. Like the FBI director. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> they need to be saved because all liars have their part in the lake of fire. And there's going to be a lot of directors that are in the lake of fire. But we don't want them to be in the lake of fire. And Jesus specializes in saving the unsavable. And the Bible says that he's in the church, but they didn't believe that he was in the church. They didn't believe he was a disciple until I'm just a good guy comes along. I'm just a good guy. Until Barnabas, Barnabas comes along. You know what Barnabas does? Barnabas says, Paul, I believe God's changed your life. Paul, I believe in what God's done in you. As a matter of fact, I believe in what God's done in you so much 
that I'm going to vouch for you. Paul, why don't you come with me? Paul, why don't you come with me, and we're going to go to the Jerusalem council. Paul, why don't you go with me? What are you saying? I'm saying Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was a blessing. Barnabas was a, a man that used his tongue and his speech in a potent and in a powerful way. He's the man throughout the scripture that advocates for John Mark. So what is the primary characteristic of Barnabas's life? Acts 4 and 36 and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Barnabas was known, his nickname, if you will, maybe you have a nickname. Barnabas' nickname was the son of consolation. The son of consolation, what does that mean? Paraclesis, literally, it means one that's called alongside of to help. One who is a comfort. One who is, allow me to say it like this, an encouragement. An encouragement. An encouragement. You know what I like about the word encouragement? That right in the middle of the word of encouragement is the word courage. You know why? You know what we need more of? We need more courage. With the persecution we may be facing with the adversity we may have in our life. We may be going through all kinds of tumult and trouble and difficulty in our life. We may be, you know, going underwater, blah, 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 blah. I mean, we're coming up for air, and we're, and we're back underneath the water, and we're coming back up for air. And what we don't need is someone that's going to shove us down. What we don't need is someone that tells us we can't make it. What we don't need is someone that discourages us. What we need is, I'm just a good guy, what we need is some good men with some good words of encouragement. You know what that means? Courage is in the middle of the word. It means when the word comes to you, you feel a sense of encouragement. You feel a sense of courage that rises up within your heart. You square your shoulders. You lift your head up. You say the sun's going to shine again. There is yet hope for me. I can do all things through Christ. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know that I shall overcome. God's going to help me. Encouragement. That's what Barnabas, his primary characteristic. I would argue this morning that that's what we need more of. We need more of in the church. We need men and women of encouragement. Men that know how to build up. Women that know how to build up. More courageous enough to encourage. I want to encourage someone this morning to, to remind us that, listen, words they don't cost us anything. Words are free. Words are free. They don't cost us anything. To give somebody a word of blessing, it doesn't cost us anything. But oh, the inestimable value that it can bring to somebody's life. A word that lifts them. A word of encouragement. A word of blessing. A word, you can do it. With God's help, you shall do it. Come on, I want to encourage someone here this morning. We, we have no idea the power that our words hold sometimes. And we have the ability to make someone's day by the words that we say. And so was Barnabas, that kind of a man. He used his words as a powerful tool of blessing in others' lives. It is interesting as we walk through the scripture that there are a number of metaphors in the Bible for our speech, our language, our conversation. There's a number of metaphors, comparisons, saying that your words are like this. James chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on the fire of hell. He's saying that words can be inflammatory. They, I mean, if you think of the, the wildfires in, in California that took place, some of them, single match, can burn down a forest of thousands of acres. He's saying a biblical metaphor for our speech is it's like a fire. Revelation 19 and 5, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule over them with a rod of iron. 
and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God. Out of the mouth of Jesus goes a sharp sword. And we need to recognize that when this whole thing wraps up, folks, we're in our prophecy series Wednesday night. Little commercial. If you're not in group, get in group. It's, going, it's great. Last Wednesday was great. It was great. Wonderful teaching. The coming of the Lord is nigh. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. The church is going to be raptured out of the world. The church is going to be taken out of the world. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Until he be taken out of the way. What's that? That's the church. That's God manifested in the church. Till he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom he shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That when the church is taken out of this world, friend, I'm going to tell you right now, you want to be in the church. Come on. You want to be ready for the rapture. Come on. You don't want to miss the rapture. Don't you believe Tim LaHaye and his fancy, funny little books? Uh, you know, if you miss it, you can just, you know, be part of the resistance. Listen, if you can't live for God under grace with the power of the Holy Ghost in your life, how in the world is somebody going to live for God when the Spirit is brought out of the world and the devil is rampaging the earth? How in the world is somebody going to live for God then? You want to live for God now. You want to get all the way into the church. You want to get fully committed because the trumpet's going to sound one day. And when the trumpet sounds, you don't want to be left behind. You want to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Come on, clap your hands unto God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. In Jesus' name. But when the church leaves this world, it's going to be hell on earth. Because God's going to release seven seals and seven trumpets and seven vials. And the judgment of God is going to cover the earth. And men are going to cry out for fear. that They're going to wish that they could die and they're not going to be able to die. And the devil's going to be loose for a season. And it's going to be a wicked, wild world. But let me tell you something. Our great God, Jesus Christ, at the end of all of this, he's going to come galloping down from the heavens on a white steed. And out of his mouth, there's going to come a sharp two-edged sword and the liar the devil is going to be defeated because our God has got a sword and it's the word of God In Jesus name so our words are powerful our words are powerful James 3 and 4 behold all the sh- also the ships which though they be great, in other words, large, these huge, massive ships that men used to sail the oceans with, these great, big, huge ships and are driven of fierce winds, the winds just move those great, big ships in every which direction. Yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. In other words, those great, big ships, they have a little rudder. And that little rudder can, stir a great, can, can steer a great, big ship. That little rudder can steer the direction of a massive ship. He's saying, so is the tongue. That the tongue has the power to steer our lives. Thank God for the power that we have in our mouth. I want somebody to be reminded this morning, you've got power in your mouth. Oh, yes. Colossians 4 and 6. Our key text. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You ever have a craving for salt? I got these guys right here. Pretzel. I don't really eat pretzels for, I mean, I don't even know what you, is that bread? What is that? It's like, you don't eat them for the bread. It's a salt, isn't it? You ever craving? It's like, I gotta have something salty. Something inside. Those are really good. I gotta take a drink now, though. You ever have a craving for salt? Okay. You know what's unique to me? It's pretty cool. That sweet and salty go together. Isn't that amazing? Years ago, I got in a very bad habit. 
at night, I would read. And I get hangry about 10 o'clock at night. I need a snack. And my wife would go to Walmart. She'd buy these great big bags. What, were the, what was it called? Was it called Mountain Mix? Mountain Trail Mix. Mountain Trail Mix. Because it's for the guys. The mountain men. Health food, that's right. It's got M&Ms in it. Super healthy. But it had, it had uh, salted peanuts. And it had some other nuts in there. I can't remember what they were. Almonds, yeah, yeah, almonds. Had almonds in there, salted nuts, and M&Ms. Stuff's like crack cocaine. <laughs> I would t- I'd take a handful, and I'd eat a, I'd eat a handful of it, and I'd say, just one more handful. <laughs> and I learned after six months. <laughs> took me that long to figure it out. It's <laughs> 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 like, what's your diet? <laughs> Don't buy Mountain Trail Mix anymore. <laughs> That's it. You know, some people do Adkins. Just do, don't do Mountain Trail Mix. But it was like, it's, you know what it was? It was the, the sweet with the salty. It's the salty. Something about the salty. My wife and I have this, uh, we have this tradition. We've done it for many, many years. Thursday nights is our date night. So typically we go out to eat and we end the night. And you're, you're going to want to listen up because I'm going to make a suggestion that's going to change your life. I'm just going to tell you, this is going to change your life. We have this place in town. It's called Culver's. <laughs> place will change your life. If you go there too much, it's going to change your life in a bad way. Because you are what you eat. And you will become a great big cheeseburger. But, so we would, we'd go out to eat somewhere, and then we would, we would, she's on a diet right now, so I have to drop her off at her car. <laughs> and then I make my trip to Culver's. Because I'm such a nice guy. That's why. I'm just a good guy. I'm just a good guy. I would not torture my poor wife by going to... Cause we, so we hit the drive-thru. And when you go to the drive-thru, they have this thing. It's called a concrete mixer. It's like manna from heaven. Oh, my goodness. It's not ice cream. Because if you go in there and you call that ice cream, they will correct you. It is custard. And you get yourself a concrete mixer... With vanilla, my goodness, I know where I'm going this afternoon. With, with vanilla, sorry, didn't mean to rub it in. No, I'm not going there. We went out to eat the other day, and she's, she's on this diet. She's doing a great job. We go out to eat, and she's like, I mean, she brings a scale with her. wherever she, I mean, not like, you know, a big scale, you know, like, a, like an ounce scale. And she's like weighing her, I mean, she's doing such a great job. So we go, and I feel bad because I'm like ordering like good food. I don't feel too bad. Not bad enough to amend my behavior. But So the bread comes out, and uh, I asked the waitress for a menu. I said, can you bring me a menu? She said, sure, I can bring you a menu. She comes back about 10 minutes later. She said, would you like to order something off? I said, no, I just need it as a, as a divider, a shield. And I, I took my bre- bread and put it over there, and I put the menu around it. I'm just a good guy. Can't help it. Just a good guy. Trying to help my wife. Not... Anyway, where are we going with all this? We're going somewhere. Okay, so Culver, so we got... You go to Culver's, you can get yourself, they have a small, a mini, no, a mini, a small, a regular. Don't make the mistake of getting a regular, thinking it's a large. You have to order the tall, because you go big or go home. That's my motto at Culver's. And so I get the tall, and you get a tall, a tall with vanilla in it, and you put Reese's peanut butter cups in there. Come on, somebody. Reese's peanut butter cups. You could put Reese's peanut butter cups in your cereal, man, and it would be good. Reese's peanut butter cups, and you add to that salted caramel. Mm. Oh, yeah. You will have the victory, let me tell you. We got to bring this back home somehow. I don't even know how we're going to bring this home. Now we're off on food. Squirrel. (laughs) The older that I get, my ADD, my ADHD. Watch, Colossians 4 and 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Our speech, our communication, our message, our conversation. He's writing to Colossian Christians. And he's addressing these people, the power of your words. Come on, church. We have power in our words. 
What we say matters. How we say what we say matters. Our words are powerful. And he's saying to the Christian church, may God give you, Colossian church, the charm and the wit, the graciousness and the ability to be spiritually attractive. May there be a tone in your words. May there be an ability in your speech that it is attractive, that it would delight others and be interesting and lively and colorful for the goodness of God. He said, let your speech be always, always. Look at your neighbor and say, that means all the time. Always. Well, I had a bad day. Well, I couldn't help myself. You ever been there? Oh, well, sometimes I get crabby. Well, sometimes I fly off the handle. You know, temper runs in my family. You know, I can't help myself. You know, that's how I was raised. Let your speech be always. I want to major on that word. Always. Always. Because the saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is not true. It's not true. Well, I'm, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. Well, let me tell you what. You give, keep giving away pieces of your mind, and you're going to run out at some point. I gave them a piece of my mind. But thank God. That the Lord told us as the church, as the Christian church, uh, that our speech can always. Uh, in other words, I can be consistent. Uh, I can be regular about it. I can be a person that you can count on. That person, just like Barnabas, uh, they're a consistent blessing. Uh, they're an encouragement. They've learned how to use their words in a powerful way. They've used their words to be a blessing. Their words uh, are f- always with grace. With grace, with grace. What does it mean to have grace? Man, I'd love to, I mean, go back into our message archives because we spent weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. Do I dare ask you, what is the grace of God? What is the grace of God? Unmerited favor of God? It is definitely the unmerited favor of God, the undeserved favor of God. Folks, if you're taking notes, write it down. Philippians 2.13. For it is God. Everybody say it's God. God. It's God that works in you. Say God's working in me. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God that gives me the will. We're not in the church today just because we have pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. Oh, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how great I am. Because if, if we're honest here today, we know how lousy we are. Yeah, how, how, how good was your life before Jesus? Not mine, mine, man, mine was terrible before Jesus. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're going to make something of ourselves, and everything that I am and everything I have is a result of me. No, everything I am and everything I have is a result of him. He's been good to me. His grace came into my life, and I didn't even want to go to church. But God gave me the Holy Ghost, uh, and then I started wanting to go to church. Uh, I didn't even want to be baptized until the moment that I did want to be baptized. I didn't want to live this life until God gave me of his spirit. And all of a sudden, I had brand new desires to do things that I never wanted to do before. Because God did something in my life. That's called grace. It's the signature of grace. It's the blessing of grace. It's when grace comes into your life. And God says, I'm going to give you the desire. I'm going to put a desire inside of you that no one can take away. When God says, I'm going to give you the power to live above sin come on this church is filled with former people that were drug addicts and alcoholics and former fornicators and those that used to be in and out of jail and prison but now they're living sober and they're living holy and they're living righteous and they're living blessed and they're living the good life and they're living the good life because grace came into their life and lifted them up And they're living the blessed life because of grace. Paul is telling us that we as Christians speak words with grace. You know what that means? That I can speak in such a way that I give people a desire to live for God. 
Hey, guess what? You can do it. Guess what? God's going to help you. Guess what? The Lord's going to help you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I know you're struggling right now, but listen, you're still the apple of his eye, and he still loves you. Come on, you got to get it together, but God's going to help you to get it together. Come on, get back up and go at this thing again. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Come on, somebody, you need to get back up. I'm talking about words seasoned with grace. Words with grace seasoned with salt. And I'm closing. Musicians, you can come. Season with salt. What does that mean? It means that when we talk, it's flavored. It's recommended to the palate. The metaphor here is a seasoning that the words that we speak are powerful. Words that we speak can literally give other people a window into God's world and give them a divine invitation into a better life. Here's what I want you to know as I close this message. Words are free, folks. They don't cost us anything. They literally don't cost us anything. When you give a word away, you don't lose anything. When you give a word away, you don't lose anything. But, oh, when you give a word away, someone else can gain something from your words, from my words, from our words. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, Colossian church, let your words be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Oh, God. Well, you know what the unique thing? It, well, it happened here. I only ate two, two of these. I only ate two pretzels, and I had to get a drink of water. You know what salt will do? Salt makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. Makes you thirsty. Man, I gotta get I gotta get a drink. Well, you can so season your words that people say, What is it that you have? Come on, we can be a blessing to our families and to our children. How many people have been brutalized by words? You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. Let me tell you what. As God's people, we can speak, hey, you're something in Christ. You belong to Jesus. There's something special in you. The Lord's got a plan for your life. Come on, God's got better for you. As a matter of fact, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much that he went to Calvary and shed his blood. The liquid love of Calvary proving to you that you have value in his eyes. Those are words, friend. Those are words that can build somebody up. And maybe give them a resolve to go on. As a matter of fact, they're saying right now, of course, this whole COVID crisis that we're facing is, is, is not a good thing. I mean, we know that. I don't care any way you want to cut it. It's not a good thing. But I just, I read that the data in our, in our county, there has been a 32% increase in suicide in Itasca County since this COVID crisis. So, it's not just the disease. It's... The hopelessness, it's the people that are saying, man, what do I do now? They say that uh, overdoses due to drug addiction has increased 38% in our community. And they're saying that's reflected of national numbers. So you have people committing suicide, people overdosing on drugs. You know why? Somebody needs a good word. Come on. Come on. Better times are coming. Come on. I know it's been hard. I know it's been difficult. But oh, Come on, you're going to get through this. Come on, church. You're going to get through this. This world needs somebody to be. You know what? We got enough dope dealers. You know what we need? We need hope dealers. We need some hope dealers. We need some people going through the world saying, Come on, there's still hope. There's still hope in Jesus. There's still hope for you. Come on, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on your soul. Come on. We need some hope dealers. I wonder how many feel that way. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder how many feel that way today. I want to be a hope dealer. I just want to be a good guy. I just want to be a good guy. Just like Barnabas, I just want to be one of the good guys. I just want to be one of the good guys. 
Holy Ghost, help us, I pray today in the name of Jesus. Oh God, I had people in my life that have spoken good things into me, that have believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I am so thankful, God. I'm so thankful that, Lord, you brought the word of encouragement. You brought the word of life into my life uh, at a time when I was helpless and hopeless. Uh, and I know equally true that there are people in our world that are going through the same thing. And, Lord, I don't want to, as a child of God, sit on my laurels. I want to, Lord, I, I've got a word in my mouth. Uh, and I pray, encourage the church today. Let there be a spirit of Barnabas that releases in the church. That God, we learn how to not just be blessed, but how to be a blessing. Teach us, Lord, how to give of ourselves to others and to dip out of the well of blessing that you have blessed us with to help others, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As they sing, maybe that's your...